welcome to the Expert Gold Radio Show, which shows you how to grow your business by leveraging your expertise. Now here's your host, Gihan Pereira, for this month's show. Hello, this is Gihan Pereira, and welcome to Expert Gold Radio for November 2012. October was a pretty busy month for me. I had trips to Melbourne and Cairns, both times to speak at conferences. I'd never been to Cairns before, so that time was also an opportunity to combine work and play. And in Cairns, I was presenting to a group of financial advisors about how they can use the internet more effectively in their business. Same in Melbourne, I was speaking to a group of dentists about the same kind of topics. And we covered a number of different things. We talked about websites and webinars and blogging, writing articles and social media. But one of the key points I made was that clients now expect you to be an authority, not just a service provider, regardless of what business you're in. So it's vital that you build your personal brand and show your face online. And that leads in nicely to the theme for this month, which is positioning. If you can position yourself as an expert, and particularly as the expert in your field, then business becomes much easier. And Expert Gold Radio this month, I have an extended interview with Matt Church, who developed a wonderful tool called the Positioning Matrix. This is an interview I did a few years ago, but everything in it is just as relevant and important today. In some ways, it's even more important because it's more important to be able to position yourself well. Um, I do have to apologize in advance because we did this interview over a slightly scratchy telephone line. So the audio quality isn't the best, but the content really is world class. So let's jump right into that conversation now. Okay, well, there's been a whole bunch of stuff about networking for well, for a while now in business. It's been, mm. been a bit of a buzzword. What, did, what are the challenges that you've had uh, in terms of trying to apply some of the things that you've come across, read about, that things have worked for other people but maybe not for yeah. you? Well, one of the first challenges is that um, I find that the idea of an elevator statement is that, you know, the premise is you meet someone in an elevator, you've got 10 to 30 seconds to, you know, pitch what you do, if you like. And there are a couple of premises to that that I think are sort of wrong or flawed. One is John Martini says, Dr. Martini says, I don't know anyone who's done business in an elevator. And I think that's probably true. But the, the metaphor is that you're meant to have a short, succinct, get out of jail, you know, script that you can deliver and that everyone in the company should possibly even follow the same script. Well, I found that for me, um, I, I like wondrous variety. You know, I, I really love the idea of being able to adjust what I'm saying. One, because I think I, think I get bored and I, I just don't really have any energy or passion if I'm delivering some sort of rote introduction about who I am that sounds like a mission statement stuck on the walls of the Enron building, you know. So I, I guess for me, I wanted to have massive flexibility, but then also I, I realised the benefits of having sort of something consistent or reliable so I don't have to think or something pre-rehearsed somewhat. So I set myself the challenge of having something that was flexible yet delivered me consistency. And that's where the positioning matrix came up as a process. Okay. Now, before we get into the details of that, Matt, I'd just like you to just talk about this idea of being the expert's expert and why it's so important for experts to be able to get this, this component right. Well, I think the... When you're doing something that's um, quite specialised or even something that's very commoditized, in that, you know, you're competing for much of the same dollar. So let's say you're a speaker competing to speak on a timetable, like a, a conference timetable. You have to differentiate yourself, um, yet you need to not be... Um, so creative with it that people don't even understand what it is you do, you know. So for me, um, it's really important for experts to get, first of all, clarity around the nine segments that I know we're going to work through in this interview and have some answers for that, but then equally be willing to have 
several runs at this and several versions of this up their sleeve. So depending on the context um, and, and who you're speaking to, you can adjust or change your positioning as you need to. I don't see positioning as a fixed thing. Um, I think also before we get into it, something for everybody, not just experts, to be mindful of is that you need to um, refresh this regularly. I think it has like a shelf life. And I have a rule of thumb, basically I create a positioning matrix or a positioning, a set of nine little statements or phrases um, every 90 days based on the business or the opportunities I'm trying to create in the next 90 days. And I adjust my positioning, sometimes just subtly, just one or two of the nine components will, will be adjusted. But just that subtle adjustment helps me be more uh, effective and get better results when I'm trying to position for business. Okay, so that's actually quite a key difference from the standard 30-second elevator statement mm. that everybody has created and fine-tuned and mm. um, just constructed and they just use that and they trot it out all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the main difference for me is that I think to be memorable, um, which is particularly important for anybody, but experts particularly to who want to stand out, you need to have energy and passion. And if what you're delivering is something rehearsed and stayed and, you know, you're just trying to get through it so you can get out of, get out alive, you know, like it, it lacks effectiveness. You're not going to create the, the results you want out of powerful positioning. And those results can be as simple as someone remembers a little bit about what you said or um, someone actually goes ahead and buys what you're doing. It's kind of like a continuum, you know. They, they remember that unusual guy they met who had an obsession with, you know. And as we go through the, the nine uh, opportunities in the matrix or the positioning matrix, people start to understand that. Yeah, and, you know, speaking as a fellow introvert, I know what, <laughs> I know what it's like as well to find that right balance between um, just saying something ordinary that people catch on to and they understand mm. and saying something extraordinary mm. that um, people maybe don't get because it's too highfalutin. Mm. But there's a way of being extraordinary and memorable without having to go about people's heads. Yeah, and I think, I think the key to that, if you want to move through that ordinary to extraordinary, you have to move through ordinary. Um, it's almost like, uh, particularly in the, in the Australian market, people need to be warmed up a little bit um, to the idea of what you're about. Uh, I, I also think my, my primary mode before I got this positioning matrix in my head was to try and do a preemptive strike and ask them questions about them first. If I met someone and they said, what do you do, I wanted to as quickly as possible go, well, that depends, what do you do? And that sounds so awful. So it didn't work, but it used to be the primary thing I did. I'd always try to ask the question first and get them talking about them. And then I knew which bits of my current activities to use as positioning to create some form of relationship. And not always to create a sale, just sometimes to build a rapport or a, or a sense of let's keep this conversation going if, if we felt it was necessary. Okay. Um, so how do you think that this fits in with all the other networking tools that are around at the moment? Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, I think it's uh, a little bigger than that. And I think this is not just to do with networking, but certainly turning up to a networking event, this would be good to have in mind. Uh, it's also a process that I would now adopt if I had to do a pitch or a sales presentation. Let's imagine I was walked into a boardroom and I had to explain what we do in a logical, linear, quick way. I probably have nine PowerPoint slides or keynote slides if you're a Mac user, 
And on each one, I deal with each of the, the matrix. You know, I begin with history, move to category, move to obsession. And as we scope that up later, I would just work linearly through them. Um, so I'd use it to, to present what I do. If I didn't know what to put on a website, you know, if I wasn't sure what copy to use to introduce in a brochure, uh, I'd just use this process. So I guess it differs in that I think it has application across all business. And uh, it's not just about that initial meeting or that personal networking. You can actually use this as a guide to, as I said, pitching in a boardroom, uh, you know, putting a proposal together, uh, giving an introduction to your company. If, if I was given five minutes to talk about what I do at a at a um, at a membership event, you know, you might be a member of an association, and one member gets to profile their business once a week or something, then I would use this for that as well. So I guess it differs in that it has application in many different environments. I needed help with something I wasn't getting right and and as I struggled with it I, I went out and had a look and I suppose this is this is probably worthy of some of my observations. I started to really pay attention to how people introduced themselves or talked about what they did and I noticed sort of I guess some variables. Uh, Someone who is really okay with themselves and talking about themselves, and many of us know people like that, um, and sometimes I am that person, uh, will um, be really comfortable talking about them. So when I say, what do you do, if you break that sentence down, you know, what do you do, the first thing they might do is talk about the you. They'll answer the, well, I'm this and I've done that, and it's, it's that whole you. And when you look at the matrix uh, that we talk about, there's a, uh, the left-hand column is all about you. You know, someone who might have a sales background or a diagnostic background, um, someone who might be, you know, a counsellor or have come from a coaching background, will probably be more interested in them because they'll have, you know, read How to Win Friends and Influence People. The key to being more interesting in that phrase by Dale Carnegie is to be interested. <laughs> and so you might focus all about them. And on the right hand of the matrix, there's three particular uh, selections that are, or cells that are particular to the idea of it's all about them. Um, and then some other people, maybe you're an engineer or a technician, and so maybe you're in IT or something, and so you actually talk about it, what it is you do, and you know the activity that you do is like a third person, and we put that in the middle. So the, the first thing I noticed is people had a tendency, and I'd say it's quite unconscious, to gravitate to one of those channels. They either talk about themselves, they talk about their clients and customers, or they talk about the actual service or product that they're involved in. And I guess for me, I said, well, I want to be a, a little less accidental about this and a little more at choice because, you know, let's imagine I was in a dinner party, then I'd probably be appropriate to talk about me because I think the person is actually asking about me when they ask that question. Yes. But um, there are other environments where that would be less appropriate. Let's say... Um, I had an existing client and we were selling them on a new product that we had and we had to reposition what we do with that client, then I would probably talk about them a lot because I have that history with them and that credibility where they know I know a lot about them. And I can talk about how this new product or service actually you know, plugs in or dovetails onto something we're already doing. So I'd choose the right-hand column and talk all about them. So. I just was aware that it's different courses for different horses, right? In different situations, you need different tools, but you don't want to be making it up on the spot all the time. That's too accidental, and it requires too much energy in the moment where I'm already a little frantic because I'm meeting people for the first time. Yeah, and, and it's great, especially for people like, like us who are a bit introverted, yeah. but it's also useful for the people who are extroverted and who tend to go out and just uh, blab. 
Yeah, and, uh, and, and maybe just on that, and I have extroverted moments, and I, and I think that with them what I am is I'm, uh, I'm, I'm at high risk because everything is spontaneous, and I like to be spontaneous, but I'm probably not getting as many um, consistent results. Like if I was taking every sales call with a spontaneous piece and I'd had a really good day, then my energy would be high, right? And if I had a really bad day, then my energy might be low. And I was really mindful, I guess. I have a background of speaking um, on the circuit uh, as, a, as a professional speaker. And so I um, am really aware that the energy that I bring to any meeting becomes the energy or the tone of that meeting. And I heard it once said that the CEO is actually the chief energy officer in a business. I think that's very, very true. So I'm very mindful also of pitching... Of, of taking control of the energy in which I approach. I mean, imagine walking in, first speaker at an event, um, they don't know each other, and you've got people hoping you say, okay, everybody, jump up and cuddle the person next to you. It's an inappropriate level of energy and interaction because, you know, the room is a bit somber. And I've realised that when I'm meeting people or positioning, the energy of that environment shifts as well. I mean, imagine on a 24-hour flight um, to, you know, say, London, and you're sitting in 1B and I'm in 1A and we don't know each other, and I suddenly come in sort of over the top in the first 30 minutes. I know you're going to be thinking, you're going to go, oh, no, 23 hours to go. <laughs> and you put headphones on and not plug them in just to try and discourage me from talking to you. So I think there's another layer to this, which is an appropriateness of energy, and it comes from all the different, you know, you know, you're just not sure what you're going to be faced with sometimes. You know, you might get a really warm welcoming in a boardroom sales presentation or you might get five men and women with their arms crossed saying, what do you tell us about you? And they're just cold. You know, and in each of those environments you've got to, you know, match your level of energy or positioning, if you like, appropriate to theirs as well. So I think there's like a low, medium, high energy we can use as well. Okay, and that's really interesting because I think most people kind of intuitively or instinctively figure out what the appropriate level should be, but they just don't know what to say at that point. Mm. So they know that they're not going to go over the top in a sitting next to somebody on a 20-hour plane journey. Yeah. Um, but they just don't know what to do. <laughs> so that's why this is really useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I think we've kept people in suspense long enough, Matt. We've alluded to this matrix, <laughs> and there's, there's uh, energy, and there's you, it, them. Yeah. Let's talk about this. So it's a yeah. positioning matrix. Yeah, so if people who are listening to this could create a, a picture in their brain, um, let's imagine we're playing a game of noughts and crosses. Uh, you create uh, three or nine cells, if you like. Um, the best way I can describe this is we've got column one, column two, column three from left to right, and there's level one, level two, level three moving from the bottom to the top. So you should be looking at, and if you have a piece of paper in front of you, just put nine boxes together, just like a game of noughts and crosses. And then let's call the left column, you know, the bottom left, the middle left, and the top left. Let's call that you. And let's take the bottom right, middle right, and top right cells, and let's call that them. And that leaves the three cells in the middle, and let's call that whole middle column it. So you can talk about you, and there are three options. You can talk about it, and there are three options. Or you can talk about them, and there are three options. And those with the ideas book will see this diagram in their chapter. Then imagine that the three along the bottom, you know, the, the low, are low energy. The three across the middle are medium energy, and the three across the top are high energy. So now you have uh, nine boxes, 
framed up with, you know, three on the left that talk about you, three on the right that talk about them, three in the middle that talk about what it is that you do, and that there are three low energy ones, one for you, one for it, one for them, three medium energy for you, it, them, and three high energy ones as well. So if people have got that visual, I guess that's the first point. Mm. Okay, good. So... I know this is a question that there's no easy answer to, but mm. what, what do you start with? I know we're going to fill in all the boxes, mm. but should people start with uh, introducing themselves with low, medium, or high energy, or you, it, or them? Well, I, I tend to agree with... You've stumbled across a formula. I know you're into leverage, uh, quite obsessed with the idea, Gihan. So mm. instead of nine, you say, which of the three that will give me the, the best results with minimum effort? If I, could only, if I only had three, which would I choose? And I think you were quite wise in saying, let's pick the three in the middle. You know, let's just go the three middle road categories. So uh, in written form, though, I may tend to talk from bottom left and go right up the you column, then I go to the middle, right up the it column, and then I finish with the them and go right up the then column. So I actually will work this a number of ways. I, I actually see this as um, a, a, you have flexibility to choose what you need when. So if someone says, tell me a little bit about your background, it's really clear that you'll drop to the bottom left. So let me just label them up for people who may not actually have the book or the diagram in front of them. The bottom left is a column all about you and uh, in the bottom left the low energy version is history and if someone were to ask you so what do you do you might tell them what you've done um, and history is uh, pretty cool you actually need to edit it down to the bits that are actually useful to what you're trying to position so rather than talking about your history in an irrelevant way try to pick um, sort of touchstones if you like or, or, or time points in your life that actually help you in your positioning. So I've done a lot of stuff now, I'm 38 at the time of this recording and um, so there's a lot I could put in my history but I just use the rule of three. I don't do more than three things and I only pick three things that might actually position me. So let's say I wanted to run this positioning of the expert's expert. In my history I might say, you know, I've been on the speaking circuit for 15 years, history point one. I've written five books, History Point 2, and I've coached and supported over 100 experts for the last, hundred year, uh, the last um, two years. And they may be three history things I'd use. They sort of give people a little bit of background. But it's a real low-energy way. Um, I, tend to, I personally tend to not use the low-energy uh, cells very much, and I think that's because I'm quite a high-energy person. But if I were a low-energy person, um, you know, I'm just a little bit... If I were a bit more reserved, then I'd probably dip into them a lot more than I do. Um, so, I, you know, and sometimes I, all I do is the three high-energy ones because I don't mind a little bit of sort of shock positioning. <laughs> but then maybe that's to do with, you know, just your personality a little bit. Um, I am a performer, and so I'll often bring out the big guns, you know, the high-energy ones. So... The next obvious thing is to talk about the other you ones. And the middle one, or so middle left on the column, is to talk about category. And then top left, just so that people complete their columns, is to talk about your obsession. So for me, for category, uh, I guess the, the tool I use in my head is I say, don't be too clever. Don't create a new category in the mind of the customer. That's not the point of this. In fact, we're sort of just trying to open the door to good positioning. So I try to use a category that is pre-existing in just in the world. 
And I think this is a bit contrary to what most people will tell you to do. They'll tell you to come in and position yourself with your uniqueness. Mm. And I think that's useful, but it's sometimes a bit premature to do that first. I think one of the things to do is if you're a lawyer, say that. If you're an accountant, say that. If you run a company, say that. And give your company a category. Um, I read a fantastic book called The Art of the Start by Guy Kawasaki. And one of the things he talks about when pitching to venture capital firms to raise business is he says, if they say, okay, tell us about your business, what's your, what's your, you know, what type of business is it? And if you say, oh, this is a business that's never been done before, and you try to create something cool and funky, they generally in their head go, well, there's probably a good reason why it's never been done before, therefore we won't give you the money. <laughs> and that's, and that's the, the key thing is that you're connecting at a level that they understand, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would say don't be too creative here. Yeah, I have a friend who's a lawyer. In fact, we were talking about this morning. A friend of mine who's a lawyer, hmm. and uh, he said that this this is really useful to him because he hates, he cringes at when people say, "What do you do?" He cringes at the thought of saying, "I'm a lawyer," hmm. because he's much more than a lawyer. Hmm. But for him to make the connection initially and then talk about some of the other things hmm. is the way for him to create that instant rapport. Because people go, "Okay, you're a lawyer," and then he can talk about what more what more he is. A personal example of this that's just a little bit more obscure is. Um, I'm a motivational speaker, and I cringe at it because I'm not, but I am. And so there's nothing else to call it. I could say I'm a lifestyle you know, reorientation expert, but it's like they don't even get what that is. If you go, I'm a motivational speaker, they go, well, like Tony Robbins, you, you get the, at least if they ask that question, you get the opportunity to go, well, yeah, kind of, but different. You know, and, and at least then you're in engagement. But you actually have to let go of your ickiness about saying I'm an accountant or I'm an engineer or I'm a... Because we all want to be remarkable and special, and we all are. But we've got to warm the conversation up somehow, right? Um, the worst thing that happens, of course, is someone then takes your category and labels you. But that's actually really successful if they've done that, um, because that's actually what you wanted them to do. At least you've got some place in their mind and some place in the, the information overload that is people's thinking space nowadays. Yes, that's right. So let's move up, Matt, from category. So we've got history and category. Which are the low and the medium energy ones when you talk about you, right? And the final one to talk about you is what uh, I like to call your obsession. And I guess this is your opportunity to get a little fired up. And if you deliver your obsession in a, in a monotone, <laughs> then it ain't your obsession. So this is the thing that, you know, really floats your boat. This is the thing that gets you up in the morning. And, you know, you might say, law doesn't float my boat. But if you're a lawyer, like let's say your friend is a lawyer but who's very big on entrepreneurism and is really focused on business, then he'd go, but you know my obsession is taking all the difficulty of law and legislation away so that entrepreneurs can grow their business. Because my obsession is that law should be a platform and a tool of the entrepreneur, certainly not the enemy or a concern. So I'm really obsessed with, with letting entrepreneurs grow their business by partnering with them and taking care of their legals. You know, that's kind of cool. Mm. And um, if that is true and you deliver it that way, I'll remember you as the lawyer who helps entrepreneurs. You know, and in your history, I'd want to hear a little bit about entrepreneurism maybe. Do you know what I mean? Like I yeah. started my own practice or my mum and dad have always been in business and, you know, when I grew up, we played Monopoly and I realised playing Monopoly that it wasn't about the real estate. It was about the, the sense of growing and accumulating and blah, 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 or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So obsessions, you, you know, it's good to know your obsessions. 
But one of the things that it really helps you do is marry your activities with your obsessions. And um, there's this, just to balance out the whole religious thing a little bit, there's this wonderful Buddhist saying, which is to um, find, find out what you're meant to do and do it. And um, I think when, when you can explain what you do or your positioning can come from a, a high level of energy around an obsession, um, it can be very, very powerful. And for me, I'd rather not talk about my history. I'd rather talk about what I'm obsessed about because then people get the opportunity to say, that's, that's good, yeah, good on you, Tiger. You, you can be obsessed with that. I'm just going to go get another drink. And right. It's hard to lead with that, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a real eliminator. But I love Peter Drucker's saying that the key to strategy is omission. And I think the key to networking is the same. Um, I don't know about anybody listening to this, but I, I sort of don't need more business cards. You know, you go to four or five networking events, you'll get them. What I need is great connections. Um, and so great connections come from a, a better level of conversation. And if I can find someone who digs what I'm obsessed about, um, we can have a really good conversation from there. And a lot of people think that introverts don't want to talk. I think they do. They just don't want to talk about stuff that doesn't add meaning or make a difference. You know, um, I don't like talking about the weather, uh, you know, but I do understand that it's a nice way to warm up a conversation. If someone will at least talk about that, then maybe then the next question will be, what do you do? Otherwise, it's like trying to date by saying, will you come home and marry me now? Will you come home and marry me now? And you come home and marry me now, which is a little bit too full on. So, you know, maybe you, you, know, maybe you use all three um, over the course of a conversation. Maybe you just pick one, just category, and move from there. But uh, feeling flexible to go up and down each column and then horizontally as well is key to making this work for you. And at some point in there, it's always powerful to use my mum's motto, which is she must have borrowed from Dale Carnegie, even though she never read it, which is the best way to be a good conversationalist is to ask questions. Mm. So don't just be so caught up in this matrix and delivering your nine scripts that you forget the fact that it's about engagement and connection. And if it takes one or two of these cells for you to get into a conversation where you're learning more about their business or what they're about, then it's served its purpose, discard it. Don't go through it like a checklist where I have to complete my, you know, nine positioning cells and tell people all about it, you know. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Three X's in a row, I win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't have to finish the game. It isn't actually knots and crosses. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, since we're talking about asking questions and finding out about them, mm. let's switch over to the, the right-hand column and okay, talk cool. about them. Yeah. So I guess when most people are trying to tell people what they do, by default they start talking about some of the solutions they have. And in the bottom right hand, the low energy version of them is the solutions. You know, so I have, we run two-day conferences. We have four-day courses. We um, have a, an outsourced IT department. We, you know, what we do is, you know, in, we're an emergency IT department. You start talking about the solutions you provide. I, I think that it's really relevant to put that in a low energy piece because I guess you haven't made the connection yet and you're talking a little bit about some of your off-the-shelf products. And it's more useful, if you like, when you're talking about them to do that if you have an understanding of what their problems are and maybe what the purpose of their business is. And they are the three labels for the right. So at the bottom we talk about solutions, which is products and services, if you like. In the middle we talk about problems, which are challenges and opportunities that they face. And up in the top right we talk about solution, um, purpose, which is, um, you know, maybe the purpose of their business or, or how what you do serves the purpose of their business. And one of the easy ones, if you just want to cut and paste for the top right, 
invariably, if you're specialising in something and selling to some business, um, you could say because your purpose is X, which is their core business, and therefore you don't really want to be taking care of events. You know, we run 100 events a year, you're only going to run two. The purpose of your business is not to run events, and I don't think you've been employed to run events. So if you let us take care of the event management for you, you can get on and do what it is that you do really well. Um, I know you're into purpose quite particularly as a, as a wonderful tool when talking about them. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you think around that one? Well, I, I think the purpose one's really interesting for me, Matt, because it is very much about what you just said. You say, this is, um, we offer these products and services, but really, and you're not really interested in them. Mm. And I find this as CEO of First Step, a web design company. Mm. Most people want to have a great website, mm. but they don't really care about their website. Mm. In fact, they shouldn't care about their website. Mm. They should care about what their website does for them. Mm. And so they talk to technical people who are just they're, they're, um, they get really excited and really amped up about the technical aspects of web design mm. and really nice graphics and how it's going to get to the top of search engines and all those sort of really good things that most business people, their eyes glaze over because a website is just a tool for them. Mm. And if you can reconnect to that purpose and say, well, we know you really don't care about your website, but you do care about making shoes or um, changing the world through the message that you present or whatever it is, mm. and your website can support that, mm. that connects with their purpose. Mm. I just love to do this anyway. I love to know the challenges and problems that people in all industries face. I think it's one of my obsessions is, um, you know, what's your biggest challenge right now? Uh, and what a great question to ask once you might have talked about yourself a little bit and they might have talked about themselves a little bit. The next question might be, so listen, what is the biggest challenge or opportunity that you, you see in the future, you know, short term for you? And they'll start talking and opening up, which is one of the keys to selling, you know, is that if people feel like they're understood and like you get their issues, then fantastic, as opposed to just simply, you know, dumping your product spiel or elevator statement and hoping to create business that way. So I suppose we've talked about you and we've talked about them, Gihan, we should do this middle column around it. Yeah, that's the one that's the, most, the biggest challenge for me, in fact, so oh. I'm interested in hearing about this as well. Oh, I love this one. Um, I, and I use this one, generally I dip into it. I probably don't start here, um, so I'll start with one of the others, the you or the them. But this is sort of like the supplementary or the colour or the texture. Um, you have the opportunity here to tell stories. Um, and I think if you thought about the it column as storytelling, um, then perhaps that might make it easier, Gihan, mm -hmm. rather than, say, talking about a, a product that has no energy or life force or a service that's, you know, separate to you. Because, you know, talking about them, it's easy to get passionate. Talking about you, you know, it's generally easy to get passionate. But talking about an it um, is, is sometimes less sexy. So one of the ways I, I look at this whole column is I go, what stories can I tell that could be memorable? Because stories are how... You know, ideas have been passed from time to time. And what's really important to note about this whole column is this is generally how the person you're talking to will talk about you. So if, let's say I wasn't trying to get business from you, Gihan, mm -hmm. but through you, and I was trying to reach your clients or your network or your just your circle of, of concern, you know, the people you meet, I would want you to have... Because you'll transmit, oh, I met this guy the other day, and it's really fascinating what he did. He, 
and you're going to tell some kind of story. Mm. You're not going to say he had, you know, a bio that read like this. You're probably going to, you might say, oh, I met his lawyer. And, but you know what was really, he was really into entrepreneurs. In fact, he told me this story about the day he met Richard Branson. Do you know what I mean? And they're going to jump into that. Now, where does that come from in this column? Well, it comes from the bottom, from the examples. Um, you pick examples of what it is you do. Um, I like to always pick one I'm currently working on because I don't have to dig deep to remember that. And to me, that's an example of one of the, you know, I can say one of, I can then jump up to uniqueness. So if I just finish this column for people, there's examples in the bottom, analogies in the middle, and uniqueness at the top. So, you know, I might jump from that example up to the uniqueness, or I get opportunity to position what we do. Because our positioning or our uniqueness is that we're about helping really clever people be commercially smart. There's a lot of forums for clever people to come together, and there's um, a lot of, you know, there are think tanks. But the other thing, even though there are a few of those forums, they generally don't have a commercial agenda, and we do. And then the other thing that happens is it's kind of tough when you're the smartest person in the room. Um, and what we find is that most of the people that turn up to our events, this is our uniqueness and a little bit of a, a story, are, are kind of the smartest people in the room normally. And when they come into these environments, they're surrounded by people as equally smart as them. And it's not always about you know, linear IQ. It's sometimes they might be emotionally more intelligent. So one of our uniquenesses is that the community is quite fantastic. Um, and I would give an example that would build to that. Great. Okay, so that's uh, examples at the bottom and uniqueness at the top. Mm. What comes in the middle? Oh, analogies. Yeah. Um, here's the rule of an analogy. Think of an analogy and a metaphor. They're kind of the same thing, if you like, for yeah. the purpose of this. I just want to say what my category is, or what I do is kind of like something else that they may already understand. Because the thing about positioning, if you want to be really effective or leveraged or efficient with positioning, you should try and attach your positioning to something they already understand. Earlier in this interview, I talked about the Guy Kawasaki's suggestion of talking to venture capitalists by not trying to create a new category of business. Well, analogies are kind of that brought into story. Um, so you might say, you know, we're kind of like, you know, let's say you're a bookkeeper. You might say, we're we bookkeepers, but we also do financial analysis. So we're kind of like a financial control department for your business um, when you can't afford one. Or, you know, you might be doing high-level financial reports as a bookkeeper, so giving people good, you know, charts on their profitability and their cash flow and the like. You might say we're kind of like the scorekeepers for your business. You know, you give them an analogy, and from that analogy, remember, it sits right under uniqueness. So the more that it can communicate what it is you do that's differentiated or unique, the better. Now, if you haven't spent any time thinking about what it is that makes you differentiated or unique, then it's going to be really hard to come up with an analogy that leads to that. Have you got an analogy for your business that you're working on? Well, I think the one for... Um so first step, which is a web design company, mm. our uniqueness is that we allow our clients to update their websites themselves. We mm. can do it any time mm. in a Qantas club, in a, in a laundromat, wherever mm. you can get access to the web. You can update your website yourself. Mm. So that's the uniqueness part of it. And I think the analogy for, for first step is that it's more like a, a hardware store, a do-it-yourself hardware store, yeah. rather than a carpenter store, rather than building it for you completely and you can't do anything with it. We give you all the tools, we give you the guidance, and uh, we help you do it, but it's all up to you then, and you can do it. 
then you could drop to example if you wanted to and talk about a customer that had used that. You know, so-and-so was in Hong Kong the other day but is based in Sydney and was able to update the front page of their website from the, you know, the Cafe Pacific Lounge or something. That's right. Or someone who spoke at a conference and took a photo with his digital camera and within, when he went back into the hotel room, Within half an hour, he had updated on his website. Mm. I love that you can then jump to problem, which is one of my favourite paths through this. Because I would go, because one of the major problems, of course, is when you start to get successful as an expert, you start spending more time managing the business and less time doing what it was that you're an expert in. And we want to take care of that for people. And in your case, you go, because the fundamental problem is you go buy a website and it's static. It's out of date the minute you put it up if you don't have the ability to tinker on it yourself. Um, so you get the opportunity to talk about one of the problems that I know, because I've used your service for, I don't know, a long time now. Mm-hmm. Is that eight it, years. How long is it? I think it's about eight years. <laughs> eight to ten years, crikey. Is, uh, <laughs> is that I, um, is that my team now, of course, get the opportunity to improve our online presence without necessarily having to pay someone. <laughs> Because yes. <laughs> we've invested in the process and the learning and the things we need and the infrastructure early so they can do it themselves. Because some things are just like text updates, right? Like I might not like the photo that's being used so they can bring it down and upload another one, you know, yes. without that having to be a $350 you know, graphic artist or web design cost that I suddenly incurred. You know, because so, my problem is running a small business, I need to keep my cost down. Yep. You know, so, yeah, I love that. I love that you can go from analogy through to problem. And it's one of the examples of, you know, how we went from analogy to uniqueness to example and then across to problem and delivered quite a memorable positioning in that. That's right. And, and I think the next two steps for that is to then talk about the solution mm. and then come up, jump up to purpose. Because, mm. yeah, because after all, your business is not about web design. Mm. It's about um, what it, well, in your case, is mm. about the, your speaking business mm. or your management company. Mm. So let me ask you a question in this process. You've done this a couple of times with some of your different businesses and some of your products and services. How long does it take you from go to woe to fill out a matrix? Oh, nowadays, 10 to 15 minutes. Mm. It really is quick, and it's something that was a bit of an obstacle for me initially, Matt, to mm. think that it would take me a while to go through this process. But mm. the, the other thing that this does is, it's got this three by three grid and it gives you a framework for actually writing it mm. so it doesn't have to be a case of I know what I do let me fill it all in sometimes mm. even if I don't know what I do this gives me the framework for writing it down mm. if I haven't got the clarity this gives the clarity it's exactly what I use it for too I did one in three minutes the other day mm-hmm. and and it was I, I guess in fairness, maybe I'd already been thinking with this model in my head. I didn't have to refer to the model. It's kind of burnt, tattooed into my my inner pictures, you know. So I was starting to fill in the blanks, I guess, just accidentally as I stumbled along thinking about this idea. But I now use this to focus an idea, if you like, before I do anything else, mm-hmm. um, which makes it more than just a networking tool. It's, it's For me, it's a thinking tool. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, like you and I have both been doing this for a while, Matt. Some people will be kind of new to the process. Mm. What do you recommend as the first step for them to do? Well, I think if I were doing this for the first time, is I just try and come up with my category first because that's really simple, and I'd just go across the middle. And I'd say, so what's an analogy? What's that kind of like? And just to give people some help on analogy, um, analogies become more powerful when there's something you're interested in. And if I was working with a company of six staff, it was an event 
management company uh, just yesterday morning and we did this. We were working through this process. And what I needed, because they'd done some work before I came, and they got stuck on analogy. And I, the reason they were stuck is they were all trying to come up with one analogy that they liked. And I said, oh, no, no, this is your opportunity for personal freedom and expression. I said, use an analogy that works for you. I said, I'm really into movies. And when I understood their uniqueness, they, they um, I guess their uniqueness is that they care more about your event than you do. You know, so they will obsess over details you don't. And that's kind of cool. You know, it's like the wedding planner, right? You do one wedding a life, you hope, but they do 100 a year. So the wedding planner can bring that expertise to bear. So I said, maybe you like wedding planners. And one of the boys went, well, that's not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. And I said, what are you into? And he said, movies. I said, oh, me too. And, you know, we talked about Casino Royale, the new Bond, and all sorts of stuff around that. And I said, so, what? you know, if you like movies, how do movies work? He says, oh, I love the whole idea of the production of a movie. He says, I watch the Golden Globes and things like that because I want to see the writers and the producers and the directors. And I said, well, what are the roles of those people? And it became very, very clear that the clients that book their events are the producers, right, putting up the money, but they're the directors and that sometimes the client collaborates with them as the writer. So his analogy is what we do is we treat every event like a, you know, we want to get an Academy Award. We're trying to produce the best movie. And so that clarity gave them the, gave them the opportunity to, you know, someone that just wants to put on a meat and potato or bacon and egg event, they're not their client. You know, admit them. Don't select them. Be passionate. Care more about the production values and communicate that because you'll get someone like me who obsesses about the experience and I'll go... Oh, I really want some of that. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and you get to kind of, people kind of get to self-select, which goes back to that of course stuff. Because if you're trying to select for me, or you're taking my ability to choose away, my freedom to choose, I'm going to get pissed off. And I think most people who live in a wonderful free world will feel the same. And I actually think everybody will feel the same. You know, when you look at the um, the. Uh, the, the, the human rights acts, you know, the, the ability to choose, you know, the freedom to choose and not to feel bullied or done unto is, is a really important component for quality of life. And um, it's certainly, you know, the, the, the fight between that and other things has been going on for many years in politics and countries now. So I love the opportunity to be at choice. So tell me what you're about and I can choose whether I'm interested or not. Yeah, great, great. So just before we finish up, Matt... Let's do one. Let's, why don't we take the expert's expert? No, oh, okay. You good, position good. yourself, position the way that you would using the using the positioning matrix. Okay, cool. Uh, I, for me, um, this is one of the ones that I put together in a couple of minutes. I was trying to get my positioning um, clear because I was moving from. I have. A, I had an existing positioning like as a lifestyle speaker, and I'm, I'm, I still do that. You know, 80 gigs a year doing that, but. You don't talk about what you're doing in this. You remember, positioning is about the future, so you're trying to position for what you want. So the worst thing you can do is actually talk about what you do. To write a positioning statement for those that are starting out. You ask the question, what do they do? Think about what you want. You know, how do you want to be seen? Imagine this position was on a directory for journalists who could interview you. Um, what would you want them to be asking you about? The business you're bored with and that you were doing five years ago? Or, and you know, you're just doing because you do? or the new business that you want. And you'll get a lot more excited about this process if you're creating new opportunity. So, um, okay, my history, five books, you know, 15 years as a speaker, you know, that'll do. I'm the CEO and mentor uh, in a company called Thought Leaders. Uh, my obsession is with well-considered and well-presented ideas. 
a case study. I might drop down and tell you about a client of mine. I might talk about the amazing Peter Sheehan that we've worked with for three years. And if you were another expert, I'd be talking to you about his commercial success. If you weren't an expert, you were a client of it who uses experts, I'd be talking about what a great speaker he is and how you should buy his books and you should get his consulting and things like that. The analogy is the Jerry Maguire. And the uniqueness in the case of me talking about the expert's expert is I guess I've done it. Um, I've done these things, and that makes me unique. And that's why I'm a mentor here, because I have the experience of creating commercial success, selling ideas. The solutions we provide are conferences, courses, mentoring, and management. Um, there are all kinds of problems that I've listed, but I guess the one that I really want to articulate to people was the idea that clever people are not necessarily commercially smart and in fact sometimes our cleverness stops us being commercially smart because we might for example just be a bit too particular and a bit too much of a perfectionist getting something to market when we should just get it out there um, there are so many experts who die with a book in them and they don't get it out because it's never good enough you know they keep taking it back taking it back and changing it well you know that's the world the world is constant improvement the world is change um, so very important um, and then the purpose I guess I, I took a slightly more global answer for this because I wasn't sure who I was going to be talking to, right? Because it's really hard to fill in purpose if you don't have the person in front of you. So what I did is I just said, I guess my purpose, and I think the purpose of anyone I meet, is to recognise the value of expertise. And that phrase, recognising the value of expertise, um, is really useful. We've got a conference coming up about value, so it's got an entree to talk about that a little bit. Um, but also, sort of, no matter who I'm talking to, if I'm talking to an expert, I'm saying I'm not sure you value your expertise enough. You might not be charging enough. You might not be structuring your product and services in the most effective way. And if I'm talking to a client, then I want them to get that experts are of value and they should use them in their businesses and life. So, you know, that's my matrix done from bottom left through the middle and, and bottom right up. And it's interesting, actually, because we, you were actually, as you were doing it, you were also deconstructing it. I think even with that, it'll still only take two or three minutes. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be this big thing that's going to take 10, 15 minutes to talk about. No. Even if you do all nine, all nine segments. Yeah, and I think probably the thing is to be a little cool. Um, I don't think if you remember, I'm sure you do, Gihan, because you've got some age on you. But does anybody, do you remember overhead projectors? and the way they put an overhead transparency down with, say, 15 line items on it. And someone who was masterful at using the overhead projector put a sheet of paper over it and slowly revealed them a point at a time. And now we're in the days of PowerPoint and, you know, multimedia and things like that. It's, it's a bit lame to be talking about it, but that technique of reveal is a really important one. As people are interested step them through it, you know, and as they show greater levels of interest, step up the energy, jump up the top a little bit, and just have some fun if you like, and uh, this probably says a lot about me that I think this is fun, uh, I do think this is fun, I do love positioning what I do in efficient and effective way, because, you know, I really love efficiency, but I love effectiveness more, you know, something that creates a result for me, and um, it's now got to the point where when I'm on my, when I previously used to dread the question, what do you do? I'm, I'm excited by it now. And what a wonderful energetic flip from someone who, for their whole life, either didn't know what they were going to do for the early parts and then didn't really know how to talk about what I did. So um, it's created a major energetic shift. And all I have to say is it came from my dysfunctional <laughs> ability to do this. I didn't know how to do this. So I did a little bit of thinking, and I've now got something that works. 
Yeah, that's great. We've come full circle from what you started talking about, Matt, where this, start, where this all started. Cool. So I know that people would love to get in touch with you mm. and find out more about what Thought Leaders does, what mm. Matt Church does. Mm. What's the best way for them to do that? Well, thoughtleaders.com.au um, is the best place to find out about what we do as the experts' experts. And um, if you want to see some background on me, you can go to mattchurch.com. That's with two Ts. So, Matt, if you're going to leave people with one last thought, it could be something that we've covered already or mm. something that you think we haven't yet covered mm. but would be really useful, what would that be? I think before you speak mm. and don't say it all at once. And that would summarise what I think we've talked about. You think a little bit beforehand and then you take your time delivering it. So I hope you enjoyed that interview and I hope you can see the value in creating a positioning matrix, even more than one positioning matrix for your business and for some of your products and services. And one of the most useful applications of this is to create a welcome video for the home page of your website. You simply take the nine elements of the positioning matrix and that forms a loose script for your video. In fact, at the conference in Cairns, we did an exercise where the financial advisors who were attending the conference created their own welcome videos right then and there. So no fancy studio, no special cameras, just a simple script and the video camera on their phone. So here's a short extract from the audiobook version of my book, Fast, Flat and Free, where I talk about how you do exactly this. In other words, creating a video from the positioning matrix. So how do you use this positioning statement? So I've given you what goes in each of those nine boxes, and at this stage it may not sound that smooth to you, but you now have nine building blocks for creating your profile. You can mix and match them in different ways depending on the situation. For example, Facebook is for personal interactions, so you might use more of the pieces from the You column. LinkedIn, on the other hand, is more business-oriented, so you would use the market column. But these aren't fixed rules. You've got something flexible, which you can use in a number of different ways. So combine them in whichever order and group seems relevant at the time. Let me show you how you can use that in a video. This is literally showing your face in an online video which you publish on YouTube, and then you can copy it to your website. Creating video is not as difficult as you might think. The recording technology is easy. You can even do it on your computer's built-in webcam. You don't need studio quality production, and YouTube makes it very easy to publish to the internet. So all that's left is to write the script, and that's easy now that you've completed your positioning matrix. All you do is walk through all nine components of the positioning matrix in an order that feels comfortable to you. You'll have to experiment a bit to find out what seems the most natural. For example, a hypothetical management consultant might say something like this. Hi, I'm Holly McGee and, here's category, I'm a management consultant, here's history, with 30 years experience in corporate Australia, obsession and with a passion for making teams more productive. Now problems. Many managers say to me, I know we could be more productive. Solutions. I offer workshops, coaching and in-house consulting programs to help you overcome your team's productivity problems. Purpose. Because I know your main goal is not just productivity, but to be the market leader. Analogy. Think of me as a GPS navigation for your car. You'll be the driver, but I'll help you get to your destination. Story. One of my clients saved $20,000 per person in their team. And then finally, uniqueness. What makes me different is I'm so confident of success, I don't ask you to pay me until you successfully finish your project. So if you'd like to find out more about how I can help you and your organization, please visit my website, www. and so on. Now that does flow very smoothly. If you try it for yourself, you'll find that what you get with the positioning matrix is a very clear and succinct statement of what you do. So write your script and then record it. Now there is some technical knowledge required to shoot a good video, and for that I recommend that you turn to video marketing expert Nigel Collin, who gives these tips about how to create video. 
Speak to one person. Just have a conversation. Don't be a presenter. Just be yourself. Keep it simple and get decent audio and lighting. Nigel mentors and coaches presenters on how to connect on camera. So if you'd like to know more about him, you can visit presentingoncamera.com. But the most important thing you can do to get better at online video is to keep doing it. There really is no substitute for practice and experience. So don't aim to get it exactly right the first time. Facebook, Google and Apple have changed the way the world works. Most business owners don't know the rules have changed. Get Gihan's book, Fast, Flat and Free, from fastflatandfree.com and learn how to make the internet work for you. While we're on the topic of positioning, I'd like to talk about a great book that I read. It's called How to Be That Guy. It's by Scott Ginsberg. And, and I'm always wary of books that promise things like 23 ideas or 101 tips, or in this case, it was 47 ways to create an unforgettable brand. Because I think the author has just hastily put together a list of stuff without much thought or planning. So I wouldn't normally have bought this book and read it, but it was recommended to me by, by a client whose opinion I value very highly. So thanks, Ian Berry, for that. And this book is an exception to that that idea that you have a big list of things and it's not very useful. In, in fact, I think it's exceptionally good. I'd even go as far as saying it's the best book I've ever read about personal branding. Now, Scott Ginsberg himself uses a bold gimmick to stand out from the crowd. And if you haven't heard of him before, he always wears a name tag, 24 hours a day, and he's known as the name tag guy. But this book has ideas for everybody, even if, like me, that sort of extroverted stunt isn't exactly your style. This book isn't about your gimmick. It's about finding your uniqueness and then making it shine. And making it shine in the way that works best for you. So the subtitle of the book is about 47 ways, and the 47 ways are indeed 47 articles strung together without much apparent structure or sequencing, but the thing I like is most of the articles themselves have such great content that they more than make up for the lack of structure in the book as a whole. In fact, a more rigid structure might be a disadvantage because it would force us to follow Ginsberg's prescription, and that's probably not so good for this book, which is, after all, about personal branding. Now, I did read this book from start to finish, but it would be just as effective if I'd read an article at random, tried on the idea for size, and then used it if I found it was worthwhile. So I highly recommend this book, especially if people buy you, not just your products and services, in your business or your professional life. And isn't that true for most of us? So the book again is called How to Be That Guy by Scott Ginsberg. Let's turn our attention to social media, and I want to give you five tips to revamp your social media strategy. See, if you're a business owner and an expert, you know it's important to have a social media strategy, or at least to include social media in your marketing strategy. But you might find that your social media strategy is floundering. You're not getting a return on the time, money, and effort that you invested in it. Now, I think the solution is not to try harder and put more effort into it. Instead, I think you should consider revamping it altogether. So here are five things that you can do today to revamp your social media strategy. Number one, be a social media leader. See, the traditional view of social media is that it's about conversations, conversations with customers and potential customers and influencers, other important people in your network. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't think that should be the main focus. Workers have conversations around their water cooler and in the lunchroom and at cafes. Leaders make presentations before they engage in conversations so that when they do have conversations, they often do it as a coach, mentor or facilitator. So I reckon you should do the same thing online. Tell first and then you can choose how to participate or not participate in the conversations that ensue from that. Number two is to share ideas, insights, expertise, knowledge, and thought leadership. 
So look, broadly, there are three ways that you can share information with your followers. You can curate, which is to share what others have created, such as videos and photographs and links to, to blog posts and websites and infographics, perhaps with a brief explanation of why it's relevant and important. You can collate, which is to scan the environment for seemingly unrelated topics and show how they're connected in a way that's relevant to your followers. And you can create, which is to share your own expertise and knowledge in various forms, such as videos and blog posts and articles and audio recordings and slideshows and webinars, maybe even a radio show like this. Now, everything you share must be relevant to your followers and, of course, must be consistent with your brand and thought leadership. But think about using social media for those three things, to curate, to collate and to create. Number three is to choose carefully your leaders and followers. Leadership is not the same as friendship. If you're my friend, then by definition, I'm your friend as well. It works both ways. But if you follow me, that doesn't mean I follow you as well. So stop trying to treat the social media landscape as an equal space. It's not a democracy, it's a meritocracy. For example, on Twitter, follow the people you want to learn from, not just everybody who follows you. And when you do follow somebody, don't expect them to follow you back. That just doesn't make sense. And when you're seeking followers, start by inviting people on the platforms where you already have followers. For example, your newsletter list, or your blog subscribers, or your podcast subscribers, listeners to your radio show. They're already following you on these platforms, so they're more likely to follow you on social media as well. Number four, don't spread yourself too thin. So invest your time and effort and focus in the networks that most value your expertise and knowledge. Of course, you probably already know that Facebook is more of a social network than LinkedIn, which is more of a business network. So broadly, if you're dealing with consumers, you might find Facebook a more profitable platform than LinkedIn. But it goes deeper than that. If you've chosen LinkedIn as a target platform, choose the right sections within LinkedIn as well. Typically, these will be specific groups where your peers and your clients are active. Similarly, don't restrict yourself just to those big platforms. If you find a small niche forum dedicated to your area of expertise, it can sometimes be far better to invest your time there. For example, for me, the Thought Leaders community at thoughtleaderscentral.com is a great place for me to hang out because that's where my peers and my clients hang out. It's not Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn or Google+, but it's a niche community that works well for me. And finally, number five, serve to sell. So engage with the intent to serve your networks, not to push your products and services on them. Much of your communication will be one way. So it's through your blog posts, your videos, your webinars, and your other thought leadership. But never forget that you're sharing material for other people's benefits. So always ensure it's relevant and engaging. So those are my five tips for revamping your social media strategy. I run a membership site called the eGurus Community. Every month I have a members-only webinar covering some aspect of online leverage. And next month's webinar is all about social media leadership, what I've just talked about. So I'll explain the strategy that I use, and you might be pleasantly surprised at how easily you may be able to use it yourself as well. And you don't have to spend hours a day on Facebook and Twitter either. If you're an eGurus member, join me on Wednesday the 21st of November for this webinar. If you're not a member, I'd love to have you join the eGurus Community so you can be part of the webinar as well. It's just $50 a month to be an eGurus member and there are hundreds of useful resources to help you leverage your expertise. Are you a speaker, trainer, coach, consultant or thought leader? If you'd like to use the internet to get more business or deliver your material, join the eGurus community. Find out more and sign up at eGurus.info. So that's it for Expert Gold Radio for November 2012. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something you can use in your business. Thanks to the beautiful Sharon Kerwood for helping with the voiceovers. I look forward to having you join us again in December as we wrap up 2012.
You've been listening to the Expert Gold Radio Show. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit expertgoldradio.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.